Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome to the Thanksgiving Wednesday edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Happy holidays to everybody today. And our focus, of course, is Nordame USC. This game, the magnitude of this game is uh, larger than it's been because Nordame has been dominating it. And maybe they'll have a chance to come out with another victory over the Trojans. But this is a different USC team, 10-1. and one. They moved up to number five. In the uh, in the college football playoff poll this week, Nordame at number fifteen, correct? Is USC yeah. at five or six? They're six. They're yeah, six. LS, Thank LSU you. LSU, LSU moved at yes. I have LSU on my mind. LSU moved to number five. So USC at number six. But a lot to be uh, a lot to be proven this weekend, guys. Let's jump right into it. I'm working on a story that's going to be on Irish Illustrated today about the keys to you know the usual stuff. The keys to a Nordame victory over USC, and I think. You know, Nordame needs to do a little bit more than they have had to against some of these opponents just because of the magnitude of of uh, USC's passing game with Caleb Williams. But Nordame has some inroads against USC's defense. What are some of your thoughts, uh, starting with Tim O'Malley? I, I still um, – I know we very briefly touched on this at the end of Wednesday – or at the end of Monday's podcast. I really think the offensive game plan is the, is the Clemson game plan. It's uh, – I don't know if they have to hide their signals, but I did like the I did like the natural tempo that came out of that. Um, remember, we talked. People were saying, "Why are they snapping the ball so fast?" Well, they're having success with it. They're getting yards and they're having success with it. They don't. You can't protect sixty minutes of game clock from Caleb Williams, but running the football and whether you score on six plays, three or twenty in a drive or ten in a drive, you have to finish these every drive again with points. Almost every drive with points. Now you, this is a game where. 12 drives is the minimum that's going to happen, probably, unless Notre Dame can really pull a Clemson. But once you start getting into more drives than that, it gets advantage USC. So I really do believe that Audric Estime, Logan Diggs are in that 35-carry range. Chris Tyree's in the 8-carry range. Drew Pine has to pick up a couple. There's a couple jet sweeps. And I'm looking at 40 rushes as the minimum in the game. I, including, including I agree. Jets, I, think it will, I think it will surpass that. Pete, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, I mean, if Notre Dame wins, it will definitely surpass. I mean, yeah. if, if you get into Clemson, that's they had 47 carries in that game, um, you know, team rush at the end. Uh, but, you know, Tyree, Estime, Diggs, man, they were, I think, 30, high 30s in that game. Maybe, I think they were low 40s, actually. Um, that That's where they need to be. Um, yeah, they were at 42 carries between the three of them in that game like so it's it's like sort of a lean into the run but lean into a specific type of run opposed to you know jet sweeps and scrambles and you know like you can get usc on the edge that was we had uh antonio morales who covers usc for us at the athletic did a podcast with him and he talked i i was asking him just like okay if you can get usc like in the run game what is it and he's like teams actually try to run up the middle with like not a ton of success, not nothing, but it's like, if you get, when you get to the edge, that's where like, you can really have some, some fun if you're a creative run game. So, you know, how does, how does Notre Dame get outside of just, 
inside zone. And I think they did a great job of that at Clemson. I felt like that was probably one of more of the creative uh, run games that Notre Dame has had this season. So I think Reese and the offense, it's, you're not just going to bludgeon them like you did Syracuse. You're going to have to beat them up physically, but also be creative with it too. So how do you, how do you get the run game on the perimeter to work? I, I find that interesting, Pete. And, and, and Tim, I agree with the, your philosophy or what you think, how nerding will approach this because I I've seen, I mean, I've seen USC's defensive tackles get pushed around a little bit. I've also seen Nick Figueroa, one of their defensive ends, lose contain off the edge time after time after time. So that place of what you're saying there, Pete. But yeah, I mean, the less the less Caleb Williams is on the field, the better Notre Dame's chances are. It's as, it's as simple as that. And Tim, you talked about finishing off drives. USC is 106 defensively in the red zone, red, red zone touchdown percentage. So Notre Dame's chances uh, down in that area will be very, very good. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a vulnerable USC defense. There's no there's no mystery to that. You can go through the games and 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 see opponent. I, I think I counted six opponents that average at least four point nine yards per carry against them. And it's not always, you know, because you're trying. You have to keep up with the points that USC is scoring. They they yeah. the opponents end up having to throw more. And a lot, you know, a lot of these opponents, 28, 29 rushing attempts, but it's, it's done with success and Notre Dame can uh, certainly can are in a position to run the football even more than that and control the clock and, and, and keep them off the field. You never have to throw more if you're within 10 points though the whole time, like you never have to do it. You, you just have to be patient as, as Jason Garrett said about Tony Reese, don't get bored. Your running game is too good. Yeah. Don't get bored. I don't think he's going to, I think he knows the real key is can Reese go the very timely third and eight rush. Like when you're in plus territory and Audric estimate gets it or Audric estimate or digs get six to give yourself a chance. Cause you're going to need some fourth downs, a couple fourth downs too, because as you need possession of the ball now, third and six, third and eight rush when you're on your own 20, that's sometimes that's a give up play, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. not, that's not awesome. But if you can, you could really pressure them on third down. And the other thing I think Reese loves doing on third down, he was especially good at it last year. I didn't chart it this year as much. I should have. There's a lot of touchdown passes on third and three and third and four last year that were going, it was Jack Cohn, of course, I guess that's yeah. part of the thing, but they're going 30 and 40 yards. They're hitting downfield. Even Joe Wilkins was a third down against Florida state for crying out loud. They hit third and four touchdowns of 20 yards. And I think they did. They did that to Jaden Thomas for sure. In the BYU game, that was yep. a third and three. And I believe there was one on Syracuse. I like that idea too, because USC has athletes. Wait, Pete said this isn't going to be Syracuse. You're right. They have athletes where if it's third and four and they think, all right, Diggs is coming, they have the athletes to stop that. So if you could keep them off balance on third and four, where it's not necessarily Diggs coming, then that's when I think you can start making headway into the second half, running the ball on third down. One other thing with USC's defense, which is poor, but they don't match up with the tight end very well at all. Like, I don't know how many people on our podcast watch a lot of Utah football, but their tight end is really good. Like he's the cut below Mayer and Bowers. He is Dal really good. Dalton Kincaid. Number 86. Against USC, he had 16 catches for 234 yards. Um, so you can you can move USC's linebackers around. That's a month for Mayer. Yeah, Man. exactly. It, it it would be great if it was a night on Saturday. Um so that's they are not they're not set up to really handle physical tight end. And that's like that's part of this whole matchup that's fascinating to me is like 
who's the most physical team USC has played this year? It's Utah, right? It's, oh, like, yeah. yeah. Utah is built like a Midwest team. They just happen to be in Utah and playing in the Pac-12. And they beat USC up pretty good. Um, they didn't rush the ball like crazy, but they threw um, for 430, right? Yeah. They were able to sort of pivot and take uh, advantage of USC through the air. And it's not like they didn't run the ball at all. They just didn't like stampede over them like Notre Dame probably needs to. On so Priester and Samson, what is Notre Dame's pivot to throwing for 430 yards? Because it's not throwing for 430 yards for <laughs> Drew Pine and the receivers. Is it 225? Yeah, I, I think it's got to be more of a, a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Close to it in terms of yardage, not yeah. in terms of plays or attempts. Yeah, and they're just—I mean, USC is just. Utah had 562 yards against them. Arizona had 543. Cal had 469. I mean, Cal, people are Cal. Pi- Cal, <laughs> yeah, Cal. I mean, people are piling up the yardage, and you know, but a couple of, you know, I, I talked to Drew Pine last night during interviews, and and uh, and. You know, when you're, I asked him about you're facing a defense that has 18. There's, you trying to slip a joke in here, Omel? Is he, is he confident? They yes, he's, he's confident. very, he's very never, confident. Never waivers. He's, he, he's always the same every game. Um, you know, you can't go into this saying, okay, I'm going to avoid turnovers, but you have to be aware that you're going against a defense that has 18 picks. And I think they have, I think it's 11 different players <laughs> with interceptions, which is pretty amazing. They've got a really interesting, Mike linebacker by the name of Eric Gentry, who's 6'6, 200 pounds. Yeah, the 6'6 six, six middle linebacker. Apparently. What's that? Uh, he's a Pete? bit banged up. That's like one of the yeah. two injury alerts. Yeah. But man, as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, uh, he's blitzing up the middle, and Drew Pine's th- trying to throw one of those slants that everyone wants to see. Um, no slants. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no slants. He's going to break it up, but break up a pass with his navel. Okay, my point about turnovers is. No lost fumbles. I mean, obviously, this yes. is a game where you can have no lost fumbles. And if you can limit your turnovers in the passing game to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One pick's then, fine. Then that's, then that's pretty good. Just, you know, as you look at key stats, that would be one. But no fumbles. Can't afford it. Going to carry it a lot. Got to protect the football. Third down, USC is tremendous on offense. No surprise there. So Notre Dame's going to have to gum up the works a, a few times on third and four, third and eight. Caleb Williams is, you know. He picked up a fourth and six against Oregon State that had no right. He had no right yeah. to get that first down, and he did. And a few minutes later, he threw the 21-yard winning touchdown pass to Jordan Addison. So Our insider preview is going up, Tim, today, and that's what Ryan Abraham said. One of my first questions was, yeah. Caleb Williams is obviously a, a huge problem. Has he ever been contained for two and a half quarters, three and a half quarters? I mean, if Norton contains Caleb Williams for two quarters, they're going to win the game by 10 points. Yeah. Oregon State and Washington for two State. quarters is not a thing that normally happens. No, he said Oregon State did, but he made plays with his legs. He find he, he he's very complimentary did. of him that he just finds ways. Oh, absolutely, he's a smart quarterback. That's like sometimes he'll go to Jordan Addison a hundred times, and sometimes he's like, well, no, that's not there. I don't, I can't do yeah. that. He, it's not one of those things where you're dealing with a an easy to rattle quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, they uh and and you talk you reference the Oregon State game two weeks later they they struggled a little bit against Washington State uh, as well. Those two opponents combined held him to forty seven percent passing. So we're gonna I don't want to get too far into that because we have a question on that in the yeah. second segment and we'll we'll address it then. Um, but uh, what else do we want to talk about? Like keys. 
Pete, I, well, I saw that that tight end for Utah was an absolute warrior in that game. Um, I mean, he got he broke down. He was crying after the game. He was emotional. I don't know if he was. I think he was just caught up in the emotion of beating USC and, and probably having, and having a month, having a yeah, having sixteen <laughs> yeah. receptions and a bunch of bunch of lumps taken from, uh, you know, all those receptions. But keys, uh, keys to the game, Mayor Tears, um, and then <laughs> Mayor, yeah, like USC special teams are not good. Um, they're it, they're just a little discombobulated. They do not have a dedicated full time coach as special teams coordinator. They have a analyst that organizes yeah. the special teams, not which is interesting idea. against. Yeah, I mean, going up against. I mean, the right now the gu, the guru of special teams <laughs> it seems like such a bad idea. What you just said. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and so. You know, obviously, uh, that will be a, a key for Notre Dame uh, as well. So, um, you know, there's trying to look at this, uh, you know, uh, from the positive side, and there are ways. I mean, most of it comes against USC's defense. Uh, they're all, and I want to say this, you know, we've heard a lot about, oh, well, you know, Travis Dye was having a great season, but they have help behind them. It would be equivalent to Notre Dame losing. You know, a Logan Diggs, I realize it the the comparison isn't the same because Notre Dame's a one-two punch and die was predominantly the guy for them. Um what would it be like losing Kyron Williams and having Logan Diggs? Uh okay, year. that's fair. Yeah, that okay. And I know that Kyron's be, better than Die, but I, I'm saying yeah. That's, uh, no, that's yeah, that's probably yeah, that's a that's a better comparison there. Uh Austin Jones, I think, runs really, really hard. And Relique Brown is is quick, uh quick, very quick freshman. But Travis Dye is Travis Dye. I mean, he's he was the best running back yep. in the Pac-12 last year with Oregon, and I don't I'm not sure where everybody else matches up in the Pac-12 this year at this stage. But you know, I I don't I I don't think you can take that loss lightly. Um, you certainly can't take the potential loss of Cam Hart for Notre Dame lightly against this group of receivers. Yeah, and I want to point out, Pete, have you heard anything new on Cam Hart? Because I think all three of us heard questionable Marcus Freeman's tone in the response of being questionable and assume with a re-aggravated shoulder injury that he won't play. But it's something that needs to be found out. Yeah, I mean, for it certainly sounds like the the questionable aspect of it is is a concern. Like, it He's like right. legitimately questionable. This isn't yeah. just like, yeah. hey, we're holding him back, and we're not really. And we sure. don't. We don't have. Uh, obviously, Thanksgiving. We don't have the the fifteen minute gathering. With that, they didn't reschedule that for today, did they? No, they, they don't. They don't. So we won't have an opportunity like we normally do to to ask Marcus Freeman about. It. Not that that clarifies everything every week, certainly, especially as it pertains to injuries. But uh, yeah, I mean that's. That's huge. And again, we have questions on that in the second segment that we'll get to. Um, but that hurts. Uh, you know, it's, of all the teams that you don't want to, that, that you might lose your starting cornerback against this and Ohio State. And, you know, you can name a handful of teams that you don't want to come against. And this would be one of them. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at doodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. 
This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Club Fred 90 To my knowledge, Notre Dame versus Southern Cal is the only annual rivalry that is played at different times of the season, depending on the home team. Do you prefer to see this game in the middle of October or Thanksgiving weekend? Additionally, what is the history behind playing in L.A. on Thanksgiving weekend, and has it always been this way? Yeah, I mean, I know how you guys feel about going to L.A. to, to end the season, so my preference is exactly the way it is. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys comment on that before I give a little history on this. And I wish I could remember, I don't know that I ever – uh, in having conversations with the legendary Moose Krause that I ever brought this topic up. I wish I would have. If I had, I probably wouldn't remember now anyway. But uh, anyway, you guys comment on, do you I like it? I guess you would not have remembered it. No, no I, I didn't want to get in it. I wanted you guys to first comment about the way it alternates. And I don't, I'm not aware of another series that, that does that because most, because the rivalries aren't, you know, 2,500 miles apart. They're generally, yeah. you know, located uh, similarly. There are no like intersectional <laughs> rivalries. That's no. why Notre Dame describes right. this as the longest running intersectional rivalry in college football. Like, it, so, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Um, if I was USC, I wouldn't want to play out here on Thanksgiving weekend. If I was Notre Dame, I wouldn't want to play out here on Thanksgiving weekend either. I'd rather be in Los Angeles. So I, I think it's part of the appeal of it. Um, it's part of one of the things that makes it unique. Um, that's so, yeah, I, I'm all, I'm all for it as is uh, for, for reasons that go beyond my personal love of going to California at the end of November. Yeah. I like it as is obviously if you could say, if you're Notre Dame, would you like to have played Caleb Williams on senior day? Considering what you had on senior day. Like, yeah, yeah. But let's, let's play Caleb Williams on senior day and yeah. see how fancy that passing attack is. But that's not always the case, but I mean, Notre Dame's football team would have a better chance of beating USC more often than they do if the game was always out here in November. Yeah. 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 The end. That's, that's, that's why they don't win a lot out there. The, the last time Notre Dame and Southern Cal played at Notre Dame at the end of the season was 1959. And, and Pete, you said it like, you know, Notre Dame probably prefers playing in LA at the end of the year too. So I, you know, I, obviously the, the two administrations got together and um, from a competitive standpoint, I'm sure Norton would love to play USC at the end of the season, but you could understand why back in those days um, that they would say, you know what, why don't we just make this easier on ourselves? And both games, we will generally be played in very good weather. So I don't, I don't remember the situation. You have to give a little, give a little to get a little, right? Yeah. yeah. We'd like to guys to come out here and play on Thanksgiving. The answer is no. Okay, that's fine. yeah, and I don't remember a conversation with Moose Cross about that, but he would have been involved in that decision, and and uh, it's pretty neat. It is the only one, and uh, and uh, it's pretty neat. Question from Donnelly thirty four thirty four: Will Tariq Bracy or Clarence Lewis bump outside in place of Cam Hart, or will there be a rotation? Will Brandon Joseph be full goal? Will L Golden Spy contain or go after Caleb Williams? 
Well, Bracey, their Notre Dame favors the nickel too much, and USC is too good passing the ball. To yeah, you've got Mario theater. Williams to deal with, too. In yeah, Bracey has to be your nickel. I know Clarence Lewis has started working there a little. I would trust Clarence Lewis a lot more playing the position he's played at and had some success outside and leave Tariq Bracey at the nickel. So I think Clarence Lewis, I put in Monday Music or, or in the film review, Clarence Lewis needs to have his best game in a long time. He's he's going to be targeted. He has been playing. He's he been, playing been playing. Sol- yeah. yeah, he's played solid football. Well, he's their he's fourth good. best corner. He is their fourth best corner. Yeah. Look, Cam Hart's their third best corner, not their second best corner. I know he's a starter. Yeah. But Benjamin Morrison and Tariq Bracey are better than Cam. If, if yeah. one of those two is out, you'd be more upset. Yeah, and Claire yes. and, and Lewis is a better corner than Mickey right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. But Mickey's going to have to get in there now. He's he gonna will, yeah. No, yeah. Lewis and Mickey are going to have to play more He's snaps. had a rough go of it. He could really use a, a play to start this game for the first couple series he's in, Jaden Mickey, because it's he's had some – I mean, they're going to go – there's enough film on him getting beaten for touchdowns that they are going to go after Jaden Mickey when he's in the game. There's no I, – in some ways, I, I feel like – this should be one of those games where you cut the rotation down a lot. I agree, but I feel like Lewis can't handle 80 snaps against those guys either. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, it's the way Notre Dame runs their defense lately, at least. I mean, they have been putting Morrison and Hart out there like yeah. almost maximum snaps. So if you're playing on the outside, you can, I think, get away with it. Um, you know, maybe if you're nickel because you're involved in the run game because it's just more immediate. That might be harder, but I I would think that this if you're ever going to empty the tank on Lewis, Bracey, and Morrison playing 90% of the snaps, mm-hmm. this would be the weekend to do it. Brandon Joseph should be full go. He probably could have played last week, don't you guys think? Yeah, just that the fact that he returned punts when they needed him to in the game out at it. <laughs> it's not like he's been totally pulled, although we don't know if he's been re-injured doing things either. Right. Uh, Al Golden seemed very optimistic about it, and he's yeah. not really one to like kind of get carried away with injury updates. But it, oh, it right, seemed... he actually defers to not doing injury updates. Yeah, so, yeah, it seemed like his commentary on Joseph last night was like, "Oh, that's a boost for us," opposed okay. to like, eh, yeah. "We'll see." So, yeah, the whole idea of of, uh, of Al Golden employing a, a spy, Marcus Freeman said on Monday, you know, he's not a big fan of that. Right. You know, a, a question like, "Will they spy, contain, or go after Williams?" The answer is. You've got to do all of those things. Yeah. You can't. There's with, no way that the other order, though, you got yeah. to go after Williams, contain and spy on him. No, and that, and that and that was that was kind of that was Marcus Freeman's attitude: the controlled aggression and stay in your lanes. And you know, we asked Golden about that last night. I mean, that sounds <clears throat> trite and it sounds like coach speak, but it's absolutely true, especially with this guy. Because if you don't, he is absolutely he's going to find. He's going to find the unoccupied lane. He he just will. And even if you even if you get hands on him, he may break the he may break the tackle too. So very disciplined. But it's got to be all of those. It, it's it you have to keep him guessing. Uh, and the next question may address a little bit of of how you keep them guessing. Next one is from Drew Two Thousand. What did Oregon State's defense do against USC to hold them to only seventeen? What can Notre Dame learn from that game and take into Saturday's matchup? All right. First of all, I want to say that I thought Caleb Williams just he played poorly against Oregon State. Now they had they had a lot to do with that, but he missed some open throws, and and, and even the great quarterbacks have games where they're not sharp. Uh, I'm sure he's more likely to have been not sharp at Oregon state than at home against Notre Dame in game 12 with a playoff 
birth, you know, potentially on the line, but you know, they had, um, Oregon state had a couple corners, man. We've seen some really good corners this year and, uh, I'm trying to find those two guys' names, but I guess it doesn't really matter. They had two, they had one corner in particular, number two, Rajon Wright was his name, who really did a really nice job in um in press coverage. And then the guy opposite him, Alex Austin, did a little bit more. But you know, with again, we go back to Cam Hart. Not having Cam Hart makes this a lot more difficult, um, regardless how well Benjamin Morrison plays. Uh, it just makes it a lot more difficult, but I, you know, I thought it was a combination of things where Oregon state pressed at the line of scrimmage. Caleb Williams wasn't completely sharp. I need to look more at the Washington state game because they slowed him down in that game as well, but he still, he still ended up uh, well, he was under 50%. So I don't know that Nordame has the personnel uh, to at those positions to do exactly what Oregon state did if you could catch Caleb Williams in less than Caleb Williams maximum, that'd be pretty good too. I mean, I you have a lot of credit to Oregon State too. I mean, they're a top 10 pass defense in the country in terms of passer efficiency rating yes. against like everybody struggles against Oregon State. Um, that was also Caleb Williams' second road game at USC. Yeah, that's a, where a I was roster going. that had 20 plus transfers, like they're a much, much different team now than they were back then. So I think you have to factor that into it as well. Um, and then just seeing the style of defense, like maybe there are bits and pieces. Notre Dame can look schematically at Oregon State, but they're not going to suddenly have Oregon State's defense or playbook. Um, so it's that's tough. I But I, I probably think that the biggest thing that hurts Notre Dame is there's just Caleb Williams is playing incredibly well right now where which makes complete sense because at the beginning of the year when you're on a team of bunch of transfers you're not going to have a whole lot of chemistry happening that chemistry seems to be happening now think of it this way and pete you i'm just piggybacking what you said but as i mentioned to ryan abraham like look it was the first true road environment it was very tough road environment and the are you excluding stanford as a road environment and the communication between williams and the receivers and the offensive line wasn't there yet it was no. a different situation it is like saying tim pete why did notre dame struggle to run the ball against marshall so much and is usc going to be able to employ the same tactic to hold right. them down it has nothing to do with that game notre dame is nothing to do with the marshall and ohio state games anymore and even stanford they are not the stanford that that's the weirdest outlier ever they simply are a better running football team. And Caleb Williams is playing like the best quarterback in the country. What we saw earlier in the year from other teams that played these two teams matters almost nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, he, uh, uh, Caleb Williams has thrown, he's got 19 touchdown passes in the last five games. Um, so he's averaging about four games. It's, it's, it's similar to Carson Palmer. Remember when they were two and two USC and Carson yeah. Palmer just looks like a fifth year quarterback. And then all of a sudden, by the time <laughs> Notre Dame gets out there, you're like, this is absolutely impossible. Quiet, quiet O'Malley. Quiet. <laughs> keep, no, keep but like yourself. they were so beatable you at that USC team early. And then you saw them in November um, and that USC team is much oh, better yeah. than this USC. That's not even close. That USC team is much better. That was the best team. I don't care what their record was in 03 and 04. At the end of that year, that's the best USC team I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. But Caleb Williams is playing at a level that does not matter what happened in the Oregon State game. Like Notre Dame's offensive line has nothing to do with their struggles early in the season. Nothing Every, at all. Everybody's talking about that, the throw that Caleb Williams made against UCLA rolling to his left. Even Al Golden, who who, who brought <laughs> it up 
last night as well. It's just an incredible play thrown across your body. Uh, another Caleb uh, Williams question from Irish John M. Is Caleb Williams a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud of Ohio State and Drake May of North Carolina? He certainly is now. Um, I've seen C.J. Stroud in the past, especially last year. We talked about this being absolutely impossible to stop. But um, I, well, the way Caleb Williams is playing now, I think he's better than I've seen those guys ever look other than when C.J. Stroud had target practice against Michigan State, which really doesn't apply to Notre Dame. Like, that couldn't happen to Notre Dame. That couldn't happen to Notre Dame in 2016, what C.J. Stroud did to Michigan State last year. That was just hilarious to look at. But I think Caleb Williams is better than both of them. I would agree. Um, you know, Drake May is probably more similar just because he can move. Um, He's just like not as seasoned as Caleb Williams is yet either. Oh, yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams is just like, has dude qualities all over the place um, in terms of just the way he carries himself, his attitude out there. Like he knows everything runs for him. Like, you know, to borrow something from the 24 seven recruiting vernacular, like he's a real alpha out there. Um, you know, and that's, that really shows. So it's man. Um, I think if you were picking any quarterback in the country that you want to build your your franchise around, if you're an NFL GM, I would take Caleb Williams number one. Or if you want to build your franchise around, a, if you're a college team nowadays, because that's what they just did. They just built yeah for two years around too. And, yeah, around a free agent they brought in. Caleb so. Williams cannot go pro after this year. Yeah, he can't. He can't. You know, I thought it was interesting watching watching Caleb Williams over the course of the season. You see him both yelling at his teammates and instructing his teammates. And I'm so my point being that it's done in a positive, done in a very positive manner. He is on his offensive teammates when they need it. And that's a sign of a great leader. The other thing that, I mean, what differentiates him from CJ Stroud is he's a dual threat quarterback and, and, and Drake may is as well. <clears throat> But this guy's even—I mean, this guy's even better. I, think. I just think he's, he's more seasoned than Drake May, right? Yeah, now. and 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 the, the extra year of experience, I think, shows uh, shows as well. Next from Bortz nineteen. Unlike the last five or six years, this is a great question, by the way. There doesn't seem to be a really dominant team this year in college football. It, one that looks incapable of dropping a game. Is this an anomaly, or could this be a byproduct of the transfer portal spreading out talent? Less depth at Alabama and Ohio State equals more frontline players at other schools. Yeah, Tim, I thought the same thing when I saw this question from Bortz19. I wanted to include it. Uh, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a great point. I think he's, I think that's accurate. Um, you know, unfortunately, right now, USC got a large portion of that, that transfer <laughs> talent as well. They yeah, sure did. <laughs> The you know, two but guys I, but, that are going to be the biggest problem on Saturday yeah, night. But, but I mean, absolutely, you know, guys from a group of five schools moving up to power five schools makes them better. Guys from the top uh, FCS schools moving on to the group of five schools to replace the ones that they lost to the power five teams, uh, you know, that, that helps compensate. But I think it's a good observation, and I don't – George is pretty good. I, I don't. I, they are, but they are, they're the best team, I think. And I think they'll win it. But last year watching Georgia, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I mean, what, with, with what they lost on the defensive side of the football, but yeah. and they're, they're probably not as good as that group. But it was silly when people talked about beating Georgia last year. It was just, it was kind of silly. Like, you're like, well, is it Quinn Notre Dame? No, what are you talking about? Like, are you serious? Like, now I, this is one of those things where it's unfortunate that 2020 Notre Dame. And 2018 Notre Dame aren't playing with zero yes. losses and had a chance to go into a playoff game, right? As right. opposed to I basically agree. one of the greatest teams of all time and then yeah. one of the other greatest.
greatest teams of all time. I to the answer to this question, I think it's more a lot anomaly than the transfer portal because like Alabama added Jameer Gibbs. Um yeah. Yeah. you know, Ohio State added Oklahoma State's uh nickel from last year. I think McAllister was his name, who was like a really good player in addition to their DC. But I, you know, the the teams at the top are adding through the transfer portal as well. Um, it's not it's not only USC, just like it wasn't only Michigan State last year. But um, I think the, the portal could concentrate the talent at the best teams even more than it already is. Yeah. Because you're you're getting like these power five players who are like, you know what, I, I want to go play at Alabama and I'm at Pittsburgh or I'm at Michigan State. Um, or I heck, I'm at Stanford, Austin Jones, Travis Dye. Like, um, so I think it probably more of an anomaly this year. Just certainly made for a way more entertaining college football season nationally if you're a fan of the sport. I like that Pete threw some low shade at uh, Narduzzi there by saying transfers from Pittsburgh and Michigan <laughs> State going to better schools because that, that would make him mad if he listens to our podcast. Yeah. He'd be mad if he ever listened to our podcast, though. I, I, I think I'm he's feeling. just mad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> look, if no, he just shows up, he wakes up and chooses anger, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison – are the reason USC is favored to beat Notre Dame by five points. And if Notre Dame didn't have John Sott and Blake grouping in the transfer portal, it'd be five and a half. So right. that's the whole yeah. thing right there. They brought in the, the connection, the kickers. <laughs> yeah, that was a little tongue-in-cheek. But Notre Dame, uh, the, the real difference is Caleb Williams, obviously, because if they had their same old situation at quarterback and brought in Jordan Addison and 17 transfers minus Caleb Williams, we would not be having this much angst in a podcast yeah. at the end of the season trying to pick the game. It, you know, USC... Put a regular guy at quarterback at USC. How many losses? Three, at least. Right. Three minimum. Minimum. <laughs> and their regular guy is starting at Ole Miss, who's pretty yeah. good. That's fine. Just that That's a regular guy, though, right? That is not a – you're not going to be sitting here being like, oh, there's no, no I th- I, Well, at least like, at this Jackson, stage. Jackson Dart is more than a regular guy. Like, Yes, yeah. But a, you wouldn't a, be thinking – Quality power five quarterback. Yeah. But, and if guy. they had him, they would be, what, six and four or seven Eight. and three at best? By the way, there are nine. There are USC goes like nine deep at receiver. Does Notre Dame have that many on scholarship? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they literally you 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 watch their season, and I mean, even CJ Williams came up with a, I think it was a end around or something that they ran with them. Kyron Hudson, a name that you probably haven't heard, he he came up big. Um, uh, Michael Jackson the third has come up really big, very fast. I, that, I mean, trying to contain all of their receivers. The only, the only good thing is you can only have five skill position people on the field at, at once uh, because they, they go really, really deep. So you'll probably hear some names of receivers like, where'd that guy come from? He's been contributing all year. Question from Wilmus One. How likely do you think Justin Adamalola returns for a final year? It seems that would completely solve the Viper issue for next year with him as 1A and Jordan Batello as 1B and underclassmen pushing as well. How do you project? And then it's the second question. Why don't we answer that one and I'll get to the second part. He's getting evaluated. Uh, he's submitting his name to find out where he stands. And as good as I think Justin Adamiola is at college football, I don't think he'll get a uh, come out great. But then doesn't mean he's, he's a sixth-year player, not a fifth-year guy. That's where the question comes in, does he want to come back? and play a sixth year, he would start and start 50 snaps and have a good backup situation. So I agree with the beginning of this. It would solve the Viper issue for next year. I don't know. Go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. No, it's just, I, it, he would be such a value add to yeah. the roster next year with, you know, for, as the Wilms one notes, like 
he doesn't need to play 90% of the snaps, but like if you can get a little more out of Batello and then Adam Malola is there, like neither of them are Isaiah Foskey, but they're both can be, they can, you can get a good college level rotation there at that position. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think it completely solves the Viper position because Justin Adam Malola is not Isaiah Foskey. And we don't know that Jordan Batello will be a consistent football player going through next year. He Still has made they, big strides. Though. No, he's no, he's been the last month. He's been outstanding. Uh, he, I mean, he's been vastly improved and a, and a regular contributor. But I don't think that solves I the think problem. It solves because, it that you don't have to gum up everything like you have. Well, a plan. Who's your well, guy? Yeah, Justin yeah, but I mean, but yeah. I'm talking about impact. If Keon Keeley was still coming in order, then oh, okay, well then you could move Justin Admolola probably back over to the strong side and 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 Botello and some of the younger guys, but I don't I don't think it completely solves it. I still think that that's a concern for Notre Dame for a team that's averaging, you know, three sacks a game. I I, I as I look at right now, I think they're going to have a difficult time matching that next year. The second part of the question from Wilmus one was Isaiah Foskey's draft status and NFL career. I've never felt like he was dominant in the way we think of most first-round weak side defensive ends like Chase Young, the Bosa's, et cetera. But the stats tell a different story, so maybe he really is that good. Well, yeah, it's a, yeah, a fair, it's a fair question because, like, I, I've been meaning – someone suggested that I do this. Like, Isaiah Foskey's stats against so – how many sacks has he had against winning teams? I don't know. Um, he definitely gets a lot against teams that where Notre Dame is already overmatching them. And but to compare him to Chase Young and the Bosa's, like nobody's doing that. Um, they're not just first round picks; they're top ten picks. Right. They're some of our top five picks. So, right. um, no, nobody is saying Isaiah Foskey is going to go top five. Um, I could see him going in the second round. Um, I don't know what kind of NFL career he's going to have. He's somebody I would want on my roster maybe more as like my first guy off the bench at defensive end than somebody that I'm going to plug in as a a starter immediately. Yeah, and the stats are nowhere near Chase Young. Like Isaiah Foskey, pro football focus is um, famously way over the top on the pressures. They add up sacks, hits, hurries, everything. Isaiah Foskey has 30 this year. In 2019, Chase Young had 56. And in 2015, Bosa had 71. Oh my God! Well, both uh, those so guys the were. Stats are not close. Yeah. Um, and, but no one thinks of him that way, right? There, no one has ever no. thought of. No, Even, we. I, I thought he'd be a more impactful player, but I never once compared him to those two. I, you know, it's but like we, just we, Justin Tuck is a more interesting comparison. There, you know, he went in the third round, ended up having a great NFL career, but like. I don't think when he came out of Notre Dame, you were like, oh, well, this guy's a surefire 10-year pro and Super Bowl champion. Like, he, he, Isaiah Foskey's going to have to find another gear at the next level. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it because, he's, I, you know, like if he were drafted at the – I mean, I mean, I probably would I, – I tend to agree second round, but if he were drafted at the end of the first round, I, I wouldn't be shocked by that. But but the difference between that and Chase Young slash the Bosa's, it's, it's like – you know, if you're a top five pick or a top 10 pick, that's like round, you know, round. I guess the end of the first round would be like round one, a, and they would be round one. You know, I thought mean? Isaiah, I love, I really like Isaiah Foskey. I thought he would have a more impactful season as a senior than he did. Like I, I, this isn't even an argument for me. Justin Adamiola, not Justin Adamiola. I'm sorry. 
Uh, Julian Aquara, as a junior in 2018, was a much better, yes. a much better pass rusher than Isaiah Foskius. More consistently impactful, yes. Yeah, okay, he had 52 quarterback pressures. That's Chase. That is getting in the level of the guys we're talking about here. Yeah. That's 20 well, more than Isaiah Foskey has. That's a lot. I think that with Foskey last year, uh, maybe we underrated Heinish and the impact he had in the middle. Like Notre Dame is not nearly as good on the interior as they were a year ago. Um, and even you mentioned Okwara. Well, if you had a first-round pick at defensive tackle like Jerry Tillery. And Kareem on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other end is Khalid Kareem, or it's Dalen Hayes, or it's a developmental Adeyong Deje. Like that oh, man, was they were deep. That was a great line. Yep, sure was. Question from CMU Pence fan. First time submission of a question from CMU Pence fan. From your thoughts and feelings before the season, how has your view of Drew Pine gotten better, worse, or stayed the same? Well, I mean, it's I was it's gotten better since the first half of Cal. Yeah, but that was uh, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and it certainly has tailed off from North Carolina and BYU. But I would say, like, really, over the last month, it stayed the same. Like, I don't, I don't think there's been a whole lot that's changed. And it's just like he's he's got a body of work now. Um, yeah, it's not his next start is going to be what is tenth start right. this yeah. season yep you know so that that will be 10 percent of his total starts whereas like early in the year cal was 100 percent of the book on drew pine and then it's like whoa wait north carolina happened well that's 50 percent of the book on drew pine like we just have more of a body of work so my opinion of him is sort of mellowed out yeah, well, he, go ahead tim well he he told he said last night that he feels he's gotten better every week and you know, there are nuances to the game that he knows about that we don't. Oh, and of course. Yeah. Recognition and and communication with teammates and, and you know, implementing what Tommy Reese wants. I, I get all of that. The, the overall performance, you know, he's protected the football pretty well. Five picks. He throws a pick every 45 passes or so, which is a decent, decent number. Um, you know, I I didn't bring up the bad passes. I you know I don't know why I didn't, but you know that happens every week. So he hasn't hasn't gotten better per se in that department. It's like getting better at dunking if you're five nine point guard. You might not get better at it. Well, that's a, I think that's a good analogy. And he is you know for better or for worse or accurate accurate or not, he is eight and one as a starter. Um, you know I think a lot of that has to do with block punts and interceptions sure. and. <laughs> those kind of things that have been going on the last month plus. I got a Monday musing about Drew Pine from August. Drew Pine, if Tyler Buckner rolls his ankle, Drew Pine can come in and beat any team on Notre Dame's schedule because he has Notre Dame's team around him. As soon as there is tape on Drew Pine, you'll see defenses handle Drew Pine. My opinion has not changed at all. He beat Clemson, by the way, if you guys were wondering about any team on Notre Dame's schedule. So I think they did get someone there. Now, could he have beaten Ohio State? Probably not the way Notre Dame was playing with the offensive line, but he did beat any team on Notre Dame's schedule. He beat Clemson. Yeah. He threw for 86 yards in that yeah, game. Right. He, but he, the question he, was, he didn't, he because didn't mess of the it up. team around him, he can beat any team on Notre Dame's schedule. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah point that taken. literally is the quote. Because of everything around him, he beat the team on Notre Dame's schedule. Drew Pine can't go out and beat teams by himself. Yeah, the only thing that I think he 
you know, the, the, the open receivers where he just misses the throw. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's that, worse that he worse passing can, than I thought he would be. He's a worse passer than I thought he would be. Especially after seeing North Carolina and BYU, you figured I, that, that that would, yeah. I thought he would be a, the layups would be layups for Drew. Yep. Yep. But like, I, I guess when I look at this question, the way it's phrased, like I've sort of known that to be the case for about a month, you know, it's like when he, when he missed, I know it was windy last weekend, but when he missed a couple open throws at the beginning yeah. of the game, it wasn't like, oh, man, I can't. Like, I just, no, but before the season, did you think yeah. that about Drew Pine? Uh, I feel like I just didn't know enough about it. I mean, I get back to what Priester said, which like was prescient and then wrong and now right again about like Drew Pine is sort of like a 50% passer. Um, you know, it's like we watch Cal and like, ooh. Um, but then North Carolina BYU for like, oh, God, he has it in him to be more than that, but maybe those were just games that he played well against bad yeah, defense. I don't, I don't know what else. I mean, I, I the, the, obviously we, and we've said this from the very beginning, the ceiling is there's a limited ceiling, but if you could, ju- if yep. you just make the throw and you can't make them all, I, I understand that, but make the throws that you, that are open and you should be able to make. He's much, you, we would look at him a little bit differently. He'd be a much better and more consistent quarterback if he's done that. And he really has not, He's not really improved over the course of 60 minutes. There are too many lapses in his accuracy. And yeah. I think that's yeah. been pretty consistent. Dallas Irish 83. Does Notre Dame need a Drew Pine that performed at the level he did versus Carolina to win this game or a, will a lesser performance suffice? Really, I, would say, I, mean, I would say Notre Dame. This will sound weird, but like if Drew Pine plays like he did against North Carolina, I almost feel like Notre Dame would lose because they <laughs> wouldn't have run it enough. Yeah, they'll, um, lose, a shootout. they'll lose a shootout to Caleb. Yeah, I don't, that, I don't know. I have to, like, workshop that thought because I'm not sure it makes any sense when I say it out loud. But, like... But I to just, your point, he can't play like he did against Clemson because they can't win with getting 80 yards. No, no. But, like, he's got... It's like, can I take bits and pieces? Like, the play-action pass to Mayer against Clemson, the third-down pickup to Deion Colsey against Boston College. Um, uh, I don't, I don't need him to see, like he has. What, what game was this? Where it was, yeah, you know, Navy. Like he needs to hit that that wheel route to Mayer against Navy. Like I think yeah. we can all pick out the throws he needs to make. Braden Lindsay uh, against Stanford. Yeah, it's kind of like a Frankenstein performance here. If we just pick out six different throws he makes during the game, like. He doesn't need to be great. He needs to be accurate behind the line of scrimmage and short. And then when Reese gets them in a, a look where he's got Mayer on a wheel route or Lindsey deep, he's got to make that throw, which, you know, to the point of this question, he made that throw to Lorenzo Styles against North Carolina. So maybe, maybe this is maybe Dallas Irish is, is spot on here. And Tommy Reese needs to do a good job of picking those two or three times when USC is not expecting Drew Pine to hold on to the football and convert, yeah. whether it be convert a, a you know a, a third and whatever or pick up nine on first down, you know something like that. There's two or three runs in there that they need and probably will will get if USC's edge contain is as bad as what you was indicated to you, Pete, um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Question from Terry Benedict to me. Tommy Reese is a streaky play caller. He's either really good or really bad. Why do I get the feeling that he'll be really good on Saturday? Because <laughs> um, the Clemson game is recent in your mind. and <laughs> He was really good in that game, and you—that's and you, the way that Norton could possibly beat USC. Obviously, 
I think we mentioned earlier, if Reese is patient, they run the ball. And then Tim, he dials up Drew Pine's three runs. And Pete says he dials up the throw to Braden Lindsay and Michael Mayer at the right time. That's, that'll be a great job by Tommy Reese because he does have something in his back pocket now in the Notre Dame running game. Whereas earlier in the year, when people all wanted Reese's head, because um, it's the easiest thing to do is get rid of an offensive coordinator when you get rid of all, get, get rid of all the players or the head coach because he just started. Um, when it was going badly, the only thing we were really trying to hang on to was what can you do when your offensive line is bad and your quarterback is bad? And now he has a good offensive line and we've seen Drew Pine play well. Yeah, I I'm with you. I, I feel like Reese has called good games in the last few weeks with the exception of the Navy second half, obviously um, when Notre Dame also did not play a good game. Um, and it, you're getting back to the last question. I think that, I think O'Malley, you said this, it's like recent pine need to be like, all right, these are the four chunk pass plays. We have this look, we're going to all this play. And I need you to freaking hit it. Um, Cause Reese can find those gaps in a defense more efficiently than I think Notre Dame's offense can actually exploit them. Um, so that's, I think Reese will call a good game on Saturday night, regardless of whether Notre Dame wins or loses. Um, and in some ways, whether Notre Dame's offense is like moving up and down the field or not. Um, I think I think Reese will have a lot of good stuff in for Saturday night, uh, but that's not necessarily predictive of it working. I, I don't. I, I've I've just never agreed with the the premise of the question because I I I don't think that he's a bad play caller. I do think that, and I've said this and written it. If you if if it's talent acquisition at the skill positions. I, I, you, you can put the blame on Brian Kelly and, and, and Tommy Reese. I totally agree with that. I don't think he's a, I don't think you can say a guy's a bla- bad play caller when we're just answering questions about Drew Pine's inconsistency because he doesn't know he can press the right button and he's got a quarterback that is inconsistent hitting wide open receivers and a wide receiver core that's inconsistent getting open. I actually think you can be more critical of Reese now if you're intellectually honest because he has something in the offensive line and the backs and Michael Mayer. And if he gets away from that, you can be like, what? You know Drew Pine can't make that throw. You know that can't work. That's the type of thing you can be critical about an offensive coordinator that's otherwise doing well. Like, if you put Drew if you put Drew Pine in a position where he has to make too many plays against USC, that is on the offensive coordinator. You know he can't make yes. the play. Yeah, and so I'm not saying I'm, it's hard, but you I'm not him. saying he's I'm not saying he's flawless. I, I just, what I am saying is that every time a play doesn't work, the reaction of that course. it was a bad bad play call is just I mean that's just not that's not reality. And oh by the way, and again I understand that there are other factors here, but Nordame has scored 35 points or more in five straight games, which they haven't done in 57, 70 some years. So something something good's happening there. Most of it is the offensive line just just dominating. A, a large portion of it is defenses that aren't very good, but Clemson's is pretty good and they scored four offensive touchdowns against them. So I don't, you know, for me it's the it's it's the talent level or the talent that wasn't brought in that holds Tommy Reese back as a play caller at times. Final question from VB Coach Bentley. USC went out and got a proven winner in Lincoln Riley. Do you think Marcus Freeman can be that status in five years? And if so, does he bolt for the likes of USC or LSU? When that happens, seeing that Notre Dame seems to underpay their coaches. I was not prepared to read that question and I'm not prepared to answer it. So go ahead, Tim. Now, Pete, you start. 
Um, <laughs> it's wow. That there's a lot here. Um, kind of jumped ahead a few spaces here, BB Coach Bentley. Um, but you know, could Marcus Freeman be known as a proven winner in five years? Yeah, I think I reasonable. I, I frankly, I would expect it. Um, the way things are trending right now, um, that doesn't mean he's going to go out and go twelve and zero next year. If so, does he bolt for the likes of USC or LSU, seeing that Notre Dame underpays their coaches? Um, USC and LSU would not be the programs I'd be worried about with Marcus Freeman. Um, as far as underpaying coaches, Mark Stoops at Kentucky signed a contract extension right before he lost to Vanderbilt, and now he's making $8.6 million a year. We can have a discussion about what the hell Kentucky is doing or what Michigan State is doing, but like the market is the market. Um, I don't think Notre Dame is in a position where I have to worry about Marcus Freeman pushing them on this yet after year one, but um, the way coaching salaries are going, it's it's pretty insane right now. And like to be fair, like Notre Dame is paying both of its coordinators top dollar right now. Um, so I don't, I think that Notre Dame pays market value when it's justified. I think that if Brian Kelly had said, Hey, I want to make $9.5 million at Notre Dame next year, Notre Dame would have said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll make that work. We're not going to pay you 10 years guaranteed 9.5 million over 10 years. But I think Notre Dame is actually willing to pay probably more than a lot of the fan base thinks. Yeah. The whole notion of underpaying their coaches. I mean, what you're, what you're referring to, I presume is that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU, but his contract was coming to an end and he wanted an, an unrealistic extension of the contract and Notre Dame wasn't willing to yeah. do that with Brian term, Kelly. Like the length R- of the contract, not right. the, the average per right. year. Right. Exactly. So I don't agree with that premise either. I don't think <clears throat> I look at Marcus Freeman <clears throat> and the way he's embraced Notre Dame and the job a lot differently than the way Brian Kelly did. I don't think that there's any comparison. So, but I'm also not going to pretend that I know Marcus Freeman's mindset. If five years from now, he has, you know, 50 wins or 48 wins, or maybe even a little bit more than that. I don't, I don't know. Do I think he'll be a successful head coach? I certainly had my doubts early in the year because every button he was pushing was, was the wrong one. But I think I've said this many times and I've written it that I'm you, I think you have to really be impressed with the way he learns and or tries to learn with everything that happens, good or bad. I know a lot of that is coach speak, but the more you talk to the players, uh, the more you realize how thorough he is and how he addresses everything that happens, good or bad. And I think that's a great, great quality. When you when you're looking to get better amidst success that's a smart football coach that's the right way to look at it so I'm confident of that I don't right now I don't see him bolting Notre Dame for any place because I think he has a pretty good appreciation of what Notre Dame is um and Brian Kelly fought that would you agree with that yeah well I think Notre Dame needed to have that fought when Brian Kelly got here but like I think things are in a better spot now. Yep. Yep. No doubt. All right, gentlemen, we have predictions. Notre Dame at USC, 7.30 Eastern time, Saturday Uh, night. uh, I've been trying to talk myself into Notre Dame for a while on this one. Um, 
I think this will sound strange, but I feel like Cam Hart's injury, whatever it is or is not, but that is that's sort of stuck in my craw the way Jared Patterson being out against Ohio State was. It's like you wouldn't think that an entire prediction or outcome would come down to one non-quarterback position, but I think that's a tough setup for Notre Dame, um, even with Brandon Joseph back going against Caleb Williams, who is as hot as anybody in the country. So I think Notre Dame will run the ball uh, with some success. I think Reese will have a very good game plan. I think that Caleb Williams is the best player on the field, probably by a wide margin when you factor in how important the quarterback is. It's his, and I get it. Notre Dame played Drake May earlier in the year, and Drew Pine was the winning quarterback in that game. Uh, but I think that Caleb Williams is playing at a level above and beyond that. And now there's some tape out on, Drake, or on Drew Pine as O'Malley reference. So that's a long-winded way of saying I think USC is going to win the game 33-28. I think I can't really recall a bigger uh, quarterback disparity the way Caleb Williams is playing. And maybe – Technically, the way I mean, Drew Pine's had some good moments too, obviously. But um, I do. I I felt Notre Dame would win this game for about a month. I watched the USC UCLA game and figured you know, I was wrong, and USC is going to win the game because of Caleb Williams. Um, I do think that Pete, you made a good point. Like the Kim Hart thing's a big deal to me, but it's it's it is one guy, and so that is not letting me sway my opinion of. I think Notre Dame is going to be able to run the ball and control the game a little bit. The big problem I have is, and this this would be a good problem for Notre Dame fans to have, if Notre Dame has a great first half and is up 21-14 or 21-17 and they go down and score to start the second half and they get a pick for a touchdown and it's 35-17, USC is still coming. Like Clemson was done. That, that was it, you know? So it's going to be hard to sustain Caleb Williams for four quarters. Um, I really think Notre Dame will control the ball, though, and it comes down to a field goal at the end. So I will just stick with my month-long thought of Notre Dame 38, USC 37. You got those one point, those one point games. I think that's your third one point uh, spread. You you should recognize that score, Tim Priester. 38, 37. I do. I do. There you go. When was that? (laughs) We just want to let people, uh, we just want to let people figure it out that are listening, right? It's a fun one. It it is, and you know, I I, uh, I mean, I'm I'm going back and forth between high scoring and low scoring still. Yeah, know? I can't go low because I figure the the second half does something to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because there's yeah. A, there will be a feel there will be a frantic feeling uh-huh. for USC if they're chasing and they'll score <laughs> and that, and, the, and that'll that'll likely lead, lead to points because the the passing game is 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 so dynamic and so. Um, I have a I prediction like total points more than mine, but I'm just trying to, th- I, I just feel like USC keeps on coming. No matter. It's just, I could, yeah. you know, it'd be interesting. I could see Notre Dame leading at the half, like yeah, 17, seven, 17, 10. And then it being the world's least comfortable two score. <laughs> oh, lead yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No half. doubt. For the record, the over under is 64 and a half. So Samson's prediction is. Just under that, about three points under that, and uh, O'Malley's is over. I'll have my prediction in uh, in Friday's Irish Illustrated preview. I hope everybody um, has a has a great thanks. Go ahead, Tim. 
Nope, nope, I'm with you. You're out? Okay. Yeah, uh, I got I got a emergency okay. situation up there. Okay, take care of it. I just uh, wanted to wish everybody a, a, a great Thanksgiving and I was going to go on a long-winded uh, appreciation thread here of of uh, everybody that uh, that is around me, but I mean the fact of the matter is, if I've done anything right in 41 years in this business, is I've I, I think I've done a, a a pretty decent job of surrounding myself with good people and professionals, and uh, and Jack Freeman and Tim O'Malley and Kevin Sinclair and and Tom Loy and Len Clark and Pete Sampson qualify in in uh, both those categories and, and and some others that I wrote down here that I will uh, I will spare everybody of but uh, I mean that sincerely and um, I think Iris Illustrate has a pretty good thing going on here and it's because of the people that we have uh, with us and so I appreciate all of them and we appreciate our subscribers and followers of our podcast we'd like a few more of those followers of our podcast to be subscribers Christmas is coming up so take advantage of that opportunity but uh it's been a great, uh, great regular season. We have a whole bunch more coming. O'Malley and Priest are coming from L.A. Coliseum Saturday night when Notre Dame takes on Southern Cal.